Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last minute tickets to sports, concerts, and all types of shows. They have a ton of great selection and checkout is so easy. Well, now GameTime is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app. Create an account. Then under the billing section, redeem code THEATHLETIC, all one word. Once again, that's THEATHLETIC, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who use the redeem code, and it expires in only a few hours at the end of the year, so make your moves quick and score last-minute tickets. I can tell this organization is committed to winning. The Broncos, they do have incredible fans that love this team, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Another takeaway for this Denver defense, and 58 is right in the middle of all of it. Mile High Magic episode number 36, the season finale, the decade finale of our podcast, which is a whole five months old. Hello, everyone. Alongside my partner, Nikki Javala, I am Michael Spencer. Glad to have you with us as we recap the 2019 season, get you set for the 2020 season. But Nikki, we have to start with the off the field issues that continue to cloud this franchise, the ownership situation. So here's what happened on Monday, uh, Joe Ellis who is the uh, CEO of the Broncos, met with the media. And, of course, if you've been following Nikki's coverage on The Athletic or if you have been doing anything other than living under a rock, you know that there is some drama surrounding the Broncos' ownership situation. And Joe Ellis revealed a little bit of, of, of information, uh, nothing that was necessarily new, but, but stuff that we hadn't necessarily heard him say in public before um, about the ownership situation, about what is going to happen with the trust and, and what may happen in the future. And Nikki, you have, of course, been on top of this and have had tons of great coverage about it. This The, the thing that stood out to me the most was two things but but one the first it was the first time that Joe Ellis straight up said that Brittany Bolin is the only Bolin child that is going to be considered as her father's successor correct um that was probably the newest thing honestly that came out of it um like I go back all the way to um July 2018 and this was a few months after um, Beth Bolin Wallace, who is the other sister who has been interested in taking over the Broncos as controlling owner, she is the one the trustees um, clearly do not like. Um, when she <laughs> talked to me and you know said she's interested in taking over, the trustees quickly said that she's not capable or qualified, and then you know in legal filings um, pretty much attacked her character and integrity and whatnot. Um, so it, it's just. You know, it's been assumed all along that Brittany is the one because you look at the family. There there are no other candidates. Of the seven children who are set to receive um, a piece of Pat Bolin's interest, um, you have two, two daughters from his first marriage and five kids from his second marriage to Annabelle. Um, Beth is from the first marriage, and her older sister lives in Hawaii. And while she's joined her in lawsuits, um, this sister, Amy, has no desire to become controlling owner. Then you look at the five 
um, with Annabelle, and you got two young daughters who are not of age to take over a $3 billion franchise, and you have two other sons. Um, Johnny is now living in California and has had a number of run-ins with the law, and Patrick um, is a facilities coordinator at the stadium, and he's he's had that role for about a decade um, and hasn't moved up, and he has never expressed any desire to take over that team. So that leaves Brittany. Um, she is the only one. He hasn't stated that outright. I remember in July 2018, he also said we're not anointing anybody, but also basically said it's Brittany or bust, meaning it either goes to her or we sell. Um, so this has kind of been the plan all along. I think it was a, a bit jarring for some people to hear him say it outright, but, I mean, the obvious is right in front of everybody. I mean, there are four lawsuits in Colorado now. There was um, a request for arbitration with the NFL. That's now on hold. Um, And the simple fact that this family cannot get along. Um, Now, there would only be one controlling owner and decision maker, but all of them would get um, a piece of the team. If they're not all in agreement, I don't know, A, why the other NFL owners would agree to such a setup, and B, I don't know how it would work. Um, There would be continued lawsuits and you know some family members fighting against others um it just wouldn't work um so the way i see it and as joe ellis pretty much alluded to um on monday this this team is not going to stay in the bowling family it's not and i think people um are finally coming to terms with that fact that was the other bit of news because he was asked later in the press conference after saying that Brittany is the only child who is being considered as a successor is, is the sell of the team still mm-hmm. an option? And he said, yeah, if they can't agree, then we're going to have to end up selling the team basically. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is, uh, again, it's not necessarily new information, but it is the most open that he has been about mm-hmm. that situation and about what could potentially happen with the future of this franchise. So it's it's concerning a, a bit because it, it does seem like it is just this cloud over this franchise that will not go away. Does it affect the play? No. Paxton Lynch was going to be terrible whether or not Pat Bolin was – um, you know, in in the building or not at that time. The Drew Locke was going to be good, whether or not Pat Bolin was the owner or, or not. So uh, I don't know that it necessarily affects the every down and distance of this of this team, but it does have an impact on the overall aspect of this franchise as they as they try to move forward. And there is no there, there is no one at the top right now. You know, I mean, and, and Joe Ellis is is that guy, and he's kind of the figurehead. But the guys inside that locker room know there is no owner, and and essentially what it means is that John Elway isn't necessarily accountable to anybody. Well, um, it means that John John Elway and Joe Ellis aren't really accountable to anybody. Joe Ellis technically um, reports to the league; the league has to approve on his contract extensions. But the league also isn't going to fire Joe Ellis because the Broncos aren't playing well, whereas an owner would. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I kind of disagree with you. I think it has greatly affected the on-field product. Um, not to the degree where you can make one player play better um, or you know some of the dis- in-game decisions, but um, 
Pat Bolin was was hands off. He let his coaches and employees do the job they were hired to do. Um, but there was also a, a open lines of communication between him and his GMs, him and his coaches. Um, you know, th- there was a discussion, and Pat Bolin ultimately had the final say. I mean, he cut the checks. Um, and, and now there's not that. So um, you, you do wonder if the last four years would have been different with Pat Bowen. Probably not terribly different, but, you know, in terms of the stadium naming rights, going three years without a partner, um, you know, it just, just, just in terms of how this team is run, how it's operated, um, it does appear to be quite different from the way Pat Bowen did things. Um, and I think it becomes magnified when a team is losing. You know, you can mask a lot of things when they're winning. And, and Joe Ellis was in charge when they went to Super Bowls in 2014 and, and 2016. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, there was, you know, this battle brewing in the background. There was. Mm-hmm. Um, you could just easily mask it and say, well, look, look at the team. Look how well we're doing. We're fine. This is a well-oiled machine. You can't say that anymore. Yeah, I think the cloud gets a little bit bigger and a little bit mm-hmm. darker because they have had now three consecutive losing seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because of what Pat Boland was and and what he stood for. And there, you know, I mean, you've heard John Elway and Joe Ellis say this time and time again, Pat wouldn't have be happy with the way that the team had performed over the last couple of years. And so um, I think obviously that that has an impact. And, um, you know, it's, it's just – it seems like one of those situations where we are going to be talking about this for a really long time, right? Yeah. And it's felt like that already. We've and already it seems like there's no necessarily years. no end in sight. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about this, you know, really at length since May 2018th when Beth kind of threw her hat in the ring. Um, but it's been going on long before. And, you know, when they these lawsuits started, that was just the beginning. I mean... Bill's lawsuit, Bill, Bill Bolin filed a lawsuit against the trustees. Bill Bolin is um, one of Pat Bolin's brothers. He was a former minority owner, but he sold his shares back to Pat um, a long time ago. Bill filed a lawsuit in October 2018 um, alleging that trustees had too many conflicting roles and they failed to execute Pat's wishes and whatnot for his estate and the team. Um, that lawsuit was tossed. It was kind of a test run for Beth and Amy, and or at least that's how it was perceived by the trustees. Um, but it has since spawned three other lawsuits, um, which have been consolidated into one and are now pending and is, are set for trial in September 2020. I mean, discovery for that begins at the end of January and soon after are depositions, and that's when it's going to get really ugly. And it's going to take months, and, you know, even if it goes to trial, which it probably may not anyway, um, it's going to take a good bit of time for the judge to rule. And then you're going to have appeals, and then you're going to have, like, the ripple effect from that. And it's going to be ongoing. And if one side in this, be it Brittany or Beth or anybody else within the family, is given, you know, gets a chance to sit in the throne, the battles are going to continue. And I mm-hmm. think everybody knows that <laughs> there's only one way to go, you know, and we haven't even gotten to the taxes. That's a whole right. other story. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it's funny because after 
Joe Ellis's comments yesterday, everybody starts throwing out names, right? Of like who could be involved, who could be interested, who has enough money in order to buy the team. And so, I mean, the, the speculation, you, you get the, you get the sense that there's some sharks in the water that, that if this thing were to go to a sale, um, there would certainly be tons of people interested in, in buying it. Well, I don't know about tons. I don't know how many people have the means to, to buy it, but you gotta be a um, billionaire. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta be a multi-billionaire. Yeah, I mean, the the Broncos are valued at $3 billion. Um, you know, family ownership groups, they, they, they have it a bit easier because of league rules. Um, the family as a whole needs to own 30% to have the controlling share. But the controlling owner within that family needs only 5%. Um, each of the children would have had 11%. Um, if it were equally split, Pat had 77%. Um but for an outside buyer, one person has to come up with thirty percent. Mm-hmm. Who, who's got a cool billion dollars just lying around that they gotta put up? You know, it's that's why when when people throw out like Joe Ellis wants to buy the team. Joe Ellis is rich. He ain't that rich. Right. John Elway is rich. He ain't that rich. Exactly. Um, Peyton Manning so, is rich. He's not that rich. Yeah, like they could probably get a minority non-voting share, but who the hell wants that? You know, yeah. you don't get any say. Um, so they're they're an a number of billionaires. SI wrote this really great story um, a, a couple years ago, um, and they reported that the NFL kind of has this circle of billionaires um, that they know would be interested in buying a team, and they stay in regular contact with them um, just in case something happens, like with the Panthers when that whole Jerry Richardson thing came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there are a number of candidates. I know Darren Robell threw out Robert F. Smith, the billionaire who's from Denver. Um, you got what's Philip Anschutz doing these days, I, also from Denver. I mean, there's there's others, you know, with no ties to Denver that have right. expressed Right, is Bezos going to be interested? He's, he's supposedly interested in buying a team. They built the new Amazon thing in Broomfield, so uh-huh. I don't know if that counts for anything. Um, you know, there's there's a number of rich people that could pony up, you know, a good bit of money. Well, and I'm playing the Powerball every day just in hopes that, you know, that would be like a good start. <laughs> good luck with that. Let me know how it works out. I mean, I will, I will. say, buy, an NFL team is not, it's not going to be your money maker. You need somebody who has um, assets outside of the team. And that's unfortunately one of the reasons the Bolin family is in this situation is because Pat Bolin was rich. He was a shrewd businessman, but he didn't have a ton of assets outside of the Broncos. He poured everything he had into the team. Um, so when they're they're facing a hefty estate tax when Annabelle dies, um, and I, I think that alone could force them to sell the team. Uh, I'm sure that alone could force them to sell the team. But, you know, other families that, you know, they're billionaires. They have other ways of, you know, compensating. Um, so, yeah, it, it's only going to get uglier from here. So with that as our backdrop, let's turn to the actual yeah. product on let's the field, talk shall we? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. We sit here and like we've talked about this for uh, 14 minutes now, and we haven't even talked about what actually happened on the football field. And right. uh, I think that, that the the vibe around the team, as it has been over the last couple of weeks, is is optimism. And you heard John Elway say it on Monday when he met with the media uh, alongside Vic Fangio. He was like, we feel like we've bounced back up off the map. And, and the arrow is now pointing in the right direction. And Nikki, I think everybody would agree. And 
Elway did his best to be coy about it uh, when asked if Drew Locke is going to be the starting quarterback in 2020. Broncos country would absolutely riot if Drew Locke were not the starting quarterback in 2020. Um, you know, I think Elway's words were, we don't want to necessarily tip our hand, but uh, I think it's pretty obvious in the direction that we're going in. So um, Drew Locke is is the guy for, for 2020. Right. Right. And unless something drastic happens, that will stay the case. And for me, that is the best case scenario for this franchise because it opens up so many different options in the offseason. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it alters their draft plan. That's that's what John Elway alluded to. Um, you know, because I, I you know, before he started, we've we've said this on podcast too, where, you know, I I thought for sure that you have to draft a quarterback mm-hmm. in the first round. Um, because even if Drew Locke does pan out in twenty twenty, you don't know that yet. And still he may not, but like you know, he, he has shown quite a bit in five games, and it's more the intangibles that have impressed people, I think, just when he looks like he belongs. And I don't know that you could have said that about any of the other, even the veteran guys that have come in. I don't think you could have said that about them. Um, so, I mean, he, he gives the franchise hope, but, you know, again, we've been at this point in the offseason where he said, oh, yeah, next year's going to be different. Next year's going to be different. This one, you you do know that it's going to be different because they're not firing their head coach. Vic said they're not firing coordinators. We'll see if that holds true. Um, and they're not. <laughs> There's one coordinator in particular I know you yeah. have your eye on. Yeah. Um, and as of now, there's no quarterback competition. Oh, my God. What are we going to write about if there's no quarterback competition and no coaching search? I don't know how to function. Damn. But that is, I think, a, a great thing for this franchise. And and you're right. We have talked about it. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we didn't know what Drew Locke was, we were all on board, or at least I was, of them potentially drafting a quarterback in the first round, especially if they were going to be in the top 10. But now you don't have to. You're not forced to mm-hmm. sit there and think, oh my God, what are we going to do at quarterback? Because you have your guy at least going into 2020. What is Drew Locke going to become? I don't think anybody knows. But I think everybody likes what you saw in the five games that he played mm-hmm. in 2019. So you are so much more flexible and so much more free to address the other areas of need. And you enter 2020 with the the thought of, hey, this guy can really be our guy. Mm-hmm. You know, like you got to be honest with yourself coming in and, and having the quarterback competition in, in 2016. And then the guys liked Trevor Simeon. I don't know that they really thought Trevor Simeon was going to be the guy to get him over the hump. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they really knew what they had in Case Keenum. And I don't know that they knew, really knew what they had in Joe Flacco. But they feel like they know what they have in Drew Locke. And I'm talking about the guys inside that locker room, the guys in that huddle, right. especially on the offensive side. They love Drew Locke. They love playing with Drew Locke. He has instilled in them a new sense of confidence, a new sense of urgency, um, and and, and new energy that is permeated throughout the offensive side and into the rest of that Broncos locker room. You know now that you have your guy heading into 2020, so you can do whatever you want in free agency and in the draft. You are not hamstrung by the fact that you don't know who your quarterback is, and there aren't going to be a ton of questions. Guys got so tired of being asked about how Paxton was doing in practice and how Trevor was doing in practice and how's your relationship with Joe. Yes, I'm with you. I got so tired of feeling like I had to ask, but you all you had to ask, right? Yeah. Um, this this changes everything for them heading into 2020. 
Yeah. And, and you mentioned the locker room. That was one of the most important things I got from John Elway's press conference. That he's, he said he, he feels like he's at the point where the locker room is getting turned around. And not in the sense that they had bad guys or, you know, things weren't going well, but more in the sense that the players finally feel like they have a chance with Drew Locke and they're not going into a season thinking, here we go again, another quarterback. It's going to be the same thing. You know, we're going to have, you know, a 500 or worse record. Um, These guys really do feel like they have a chance. Now, there's going to be so many changes to the roster, as there always are, but especially with guys who are key pieces um, on the defense, on the offense too, but it feels like the defense is going to take the bigger hit um, this offseason. I mean, Chris Harris is up. Justin Simmons is up. Will Parks is up. Shelby Harris, Derek Wolf, Adam Gotsis. Todd Davis has a team option. Um, John Elway said they'll pick up Vaughn's option, obviously. But there are a lot of guys, and, and you know that secondary especially could take a huge hit. Yeah, I think that's kind of priority number one is is Justin Simmons, right? I mean, okay, you got you got Drew Locke solidified. John Elway said they're going to bring back Vaughn Miller. So now, to me, the attention turns to Justin Simmons, and can you get him? back and he said he wants to be back John Elway said they want to have him back I think Justin's agent is going to make sure the money is right before they have him back um and I think Justin is is going to do the smart thing too there and and make sure that he gets paid because he's certainly deserving of that Mm -hmm. and in this league you got to make sure that you get paid because you don't know when those chances are going to come so I to me when I look at this they have got to bring Justin Simmons back um, and and that will be a key key cog to them having a good off season is if they can get him back. Mm-hmm. Short of a Pro Bowl or All Pro, if Justin Simmons can't get paid, who can in the NFL? He has done everything yeah. right, and you know we said the same thing with Chris Harris in the past too, and it was another similar situation where you had a very good player, very a player who proved himself, um, became a starter, a key piece of the defense and whatnot. Justin, I mean, he's he's great on the field and off. Um, he's kind of perfect, and it's slightly disturbing. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, he's he's arguably their best defender. He, at least he was this season. You know, Vaughn didn't get the numbers he's used to getting. Um, this is a guy that took over for TJ Ward, and that had to be a very difficult transition for him as, you know, the secondary really – like TJ and this young kid is taking over. Um, but he, he plays every snap, um, smart player, athletic player who just happens to be their Walter Payton man of the year. And they're a good guy. And, you know, just puts in hours upon hours of community service and has a really cute toddler. Which if you were building like gets a, an extra million dollars, right? Because of because of Laney <laughs> <Baby> points, yeah. <laughs> like if you were building the perfect like create a player in Madden, like Justin Simmons is that Justin dude, would be it. and then you yeah. add in all the off off the field stuff, and and he becomes even more that guy. And you mentioned he he plays every play, literally every defensive play for the last two years. Yeah, it's it's. I mean nuts. that's incredible. I mean. You talk about Garrett Bowles being available. I mean, Justin Simmons is available and actually good at his job. No, sorry, Garrett. I, but it's true. Like, 
Are you Every telling me that, snap. Hold up. Are you, are you telling me that John Elway's endorsement of Garrett Bowles, the fact that he was available, wasn't exactly the best endorsement a GM could give a player? I mean, if that's the standard, I mean, I show up to every, I show up to work every day too. I mean, do I belong in the line? Hell no. I mean, come on. This is that really our standard? Jeez. But but going back to Justin Simmons, yeah, I mean, to me, it's it says so much too if you can keep that guy because if you keep him to a long term deal, okay, then you head into twenty twenty feeling like you got your quarterback situation solved, and then you got your leader on your defense for the next several years, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you yep. get a long term deal with him done, he's not only a leader on the field, he's a leader off the field. You got two really really good guys on either side of the ball to lead this franchise into the future. Yep, and you need that. Um, you know, you're not gonna have Von Miller forever. Um, and he's right now your top leader. He's evolved quite a bit. I don't know that he gets enough credit for that. I mean, everybody knows I'm a big Von Miller proponent because I've seen, you know, from where he started in 2013 to what he's become is just like a complete 180, and that's that's all he's doing. It's a complete credit to him. I mean, he's always had that the athletic talents, the football skill, but he's really changed who he is um, off the field too. But they're not going to have him forever. I mean, after this coming season, they have one more year left on his deal. It also has a team option, and it's a, it's in structure where they could easily get out and save quite a bit of money. Um, so, you know, if Chris Harris doesn't come back, there's no real leaders on offense. Um, Drew Locke could be that. He should be that, though he is young. Um, but you're, you're going to need that guy to hold everybody together. Um, yeah. That's hard to replace. I mean, the Broncos, if anybody should know, after losing Peyton Manning and then DeMarcus mm-hmm. Ware, um, when you find a guy that can be that, you hold on to him. Yeah, especially when he's a homegrown guy. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and I think that's really, really important for them as they head into this offseason. You mentioned Chris Harris Jr. And, uh, <laughs> boy, I tell you what, it sure doesn't sound like Chris is coming back. Nope, I mean, he was he – was- pretty much saying all his goodbyes. <laughs> I, it was so funny. When, he might as well have taken a Clorox wipe to his locker right? as he was cleaning it out. I mean, he was getting every single thing in there. The best um, part was uh, when uh, Justin Simmons came up to him at his locker and Chris was like, have fun next year. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Right. <laughs> have right. fun here. You know? Code for peace out. Um, this is, I, I don't know. It seems like this has picked up traction over the last couple of days. I mean, if you would have asked me a couple of weeks ago, I would have said Chris is probably not back. Uh, and now I'm telling you that there's probably like a 99% chance that he's not back based on the way he talked, what he said, not only after the game, but on, on locker clean out on Monday. Um, this is a guy who he wants to be in the slot. We know mm-hmm. that um, he, he wants to play the slot and, and play the slot, you know, basically Which exclusively. Which is not what he said at the beginning of the season or last no, season. No, that was a much different tone. Season. Yeah. Well, he flat out said, was... he flat out said, you know, I, he wants to be outside more. He thought his numbers in the slot were down because nobody was throwing to him. He begged to play outside, and he was thrilled that in Vic's system he could play outside. Now, all of a sudden, it's the team's fault for putting him outside and not using him in the slot. I'm like, what What just happened? <laughs> like, Yeah, I thought that was really weird because he made a comment about how, you know, Vic and, Vic and Ed – they, I had to do what was best for the team, and I think they respected that. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, it was a much different tune over the last couple of days from, from Chris Harris Jr. 
And then you factor in the fact that he changed agents. And that is always a telltale sign of guys who mm-hmm. are, are going to start to look elsewhere. Um, I thought that was a really, really big piece of information that he yeah. dropped on Monday as he's cleaning out his locker. Yeah, I thought he, he was with Fred Lyles. And this is a guy he had come up with. Fred negotiated his deal and at the end of 2014, the discount deal. <laughs> but, I mean, Chris accepted it. Fred, <laughs> Fred also got him that $3 million raise earlier this year, in 2019 anyway. So I thought, you know, after that, he's just a Fred Liver. I, I kind of thought he it would make sense for him to change agents. I didn't necessarily agree with his approach um, with holding out. Not that I'm opposed to players holding out by any means. I just didn't think it would have made sense for him as he was a year away from free agency. So, yeah, now he's with a newer big-time agent, clearly going for the money grab. Um, and he's he still thinks he's going to earn – quite a bit um he did confirm and i had, i had heard this from somebody else that the broncos did make him an offer for a longer term deal in the longer a couple years um before the nfl trading deadline and they ultimately turned it down chris said it was worth three years and 36 million dollars not entirely accurate um you know the guarantees were a little off and it could have gotten up to i think 36, um, but it was more like a two-year. I think Mike Kliss reported it yesterday, too. Um, but in, and I asked him, you know, what is more important to you, average annual salary or guaranteed money? Because it was very clear during the spring that he just wanted to top Kareem Jackson's mm-hmm. um, average. And I keep thinking, why Why is guaranteed salary? Why isn't that the most important thing? Like, get your money. Like, but right, get the actual money that counts, yeah. right? Especially like everybody throws out, career. oh yeah, it's an $84 million deal. Oh, Only yeah. $50 million is guaranteed, so that's really all that matters. Yeah, exactly. Especially late in your career, like get your guaranteed money. And he, he said both are important, so I don't know. I Chris wants all the money, Nikki. He wants all the money. Um, like he's he going to walk into the one. bank. He's going yeah. to the, he's gonna want to see the ATM. He's going to want to see the vault. He's <laughs> Drive up in a Briggs truck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that that to me opens up an issue of of who the heck are they going to get to play corner um, yeah. next next season? I think Obviously, they have to Bryce Callahan's on the round. roster. Yeah. What'd you say? I think they go cornerback in the first round. I think I think that's a very real possibility. I think it's got to be cornerback or offensive line. Um, yeah. But but I think corner is is a huge huge area of concern, mm-hmm. especially if Chris Harris Jr. does end up elsewhere, like like we think that he will. Um, the other the other piece of news to come from John Elway's press conference uh, is that Philip Lindsay and and that they're going to at least talk about uh, or look at renegotiating his deal. And uh, Philip, of course, an undrafted guy, uh, has to wait two years in order to to renegotiate his deal. Do you get the sense that this could turn hostile? Um, I mean, obviously, Philip wants to get paid. Obviously, he has earned himself uh, a good payday. And mm-hmm. and John Elway was pretty open and candid about, yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. If they talk about it and don't get something done, do you get the sense that it it could eventually get hostile between the two before training camp starts? Um, as of now, I say no. But you know, yeah. inevitably, some of these things do. I mean, he's under contract. I mean. It's a standard rookie contract in that he's got three years. It's just being undrafted. You could renegotiate after two instead of three. Um, but he could play 
three years and after next season um, become a restricted free agent, in which case the team still has the leverage um, and then become unrestricted in what, 2022. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the team holds the cards in this. It it would um, sort of be doing him a favor by acknowledging what he's accomplished. And I, it would make sense for the Broncos, given that he's a, a fan favorite. He gets guys in seats, and they've had trouble with that lately. Um, so you reward a guy like that, you're, you know, it could curry some fan favor that they could really use after three losing seasons. Um, this is not something that John Elway would have typically considered, I don't think. I mean, he's... He gave Chris Harris raises, but that was after like eight years of Super Bowl and four Pro Bowls. Um, you know, he's typically been pretty stringent with his deals. I'm curious to see what he actually gives Justin Simmons. But so this is this is kind of an anomaly, and I think it's a reflection on what they think of Philip Lindsay. So you know, clearly they like the guy, um, and Philip did have the option of here or Baltimore. Um, so I don't. Th- think it'll get hostile. I mean, I talked to Phil to the side during locker room and he said, you know, it's, he would like it, but you know, he's, he's here to play. Um, and he's going to do what he needs to do. And, you know, we'll see what I happens. do think it was wise on John Elway's part to at least from a media perspective mm-hmm. and from what he's telling us, at least entertain the idea. Yeah. You know, absolutely. I mean, cause in the past, with we saw it with Chris Harris Jr. last year, and somebody asked about Chris Harris, and he was like, "Chris is under contract." Yeah, you know, I mean, he yeah. could have easily said that about Philip Lindsay. I thought it was very smart and and almost political on his part to go say, "Yeah, we'll we'll be open to to discussing that," you know. And obviously, they got some other pieces that they got to fit in and and see where the money lands. But I thought that he handled that. Uh, better than he has maybe handled some of the other issues in the past. I agree completely. Um, he likes Philip. I mean, he's every time you hear him on the air, he really likes what this kid stands for. He liked that he worked to get where he's at, and I think he he really likes his competitive drive because I don't know that anybody is as competitive as John Elway, but Philip Lindsay comes pretty damn close, and I think he sees that. And I think what John understands, too, is that it's one thing to say that about Chris Harris, who is a fan favorite. It's a whole nother thing to say it about Philip Lindsay, yeah. who is not just a fan favorite. He is like a state favorite, yeah. you know. Um, and, I mean, I think that that John probably knows he's got to tread a little bit differently when it comes to Philip Lindsay. And, and does the Colorado stuff get overblown? Maybe, you know, I know people get tired of hearing it every single broadcast, Mm -hmm. but Philip Lindsay represents a lot to this state. Mm -hmm. And if the Broncos were to turn on him or say, you know, oh, well, he's under contract, blah, 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 that would piss a lot of people off. Yeah. I mean, there, there are casual football fans who would, would just say, Hey, I know it may not make a lot of sense from a business perspective, but give the kid whatever he wants, you know, or can't you do a goodwill gesture and whatever there, they would alienate certain people if they did Philip Lindsay yeah. wrong. And I think that's a line that they have to tread, especially given the fact that they had, let me see, I'm doing the quick math here, basically 40,000 no-shows over the last three games. Right, right. I think they're, I think they know that, you know, I, I, I think they're, they realize the situation they're in. I don't, I think they were somewhat in denial for the first two years. Um, but I, I think now you can't deny it. And they know the value of Philip Lindsay extends 
well beyond the field and the numbers. Um, so I, I think when you say, when you say in denial, you don't think they didn't think that he was maybe as good as no, just about the state of the team a couple of years oh, ago. Okay, okay. You know, I don't know that they would be willing to do such a deal two years ago. I mean, they were pretty. I, I feel like John Elway still had the approach he had after the Super Bowl season that he did two years ago, and that the circumstances changed. Um, mm-hmm. The team wasn't a fraction of as good. Um, but you know, one of the things I got from that Elway presser was he was a little bit more self-deprecating, like when he. He acknowledged that, you know, 32 teams um, were idiots for not drafting Philip Lindsay. Um, acknowledging that, yeah, he was one of them. Um, uh-huh. I I don't know that I, we would have heard that from John Elway. I mean, so I don't know. I, I thought the presser was interesting. And, you know, and the fact that he's made changes to his their approach – right after the season and pushing back their player evaluations, which would Elway have been amenable to such a, a change, you know, with Vance Joseph, probably not. I don't think Vance would even think to <laughs> do that. Gary Kubiak, he would have, but Gary Kubiak is also very set in his ways and wouldn't have made it the change. So, you know, I, I, I thought it kind of said a lot about John and that he's, he's not as unflexible as perhaps, you know, a lot of us, think he is um and he's open to change and i think that was a really smart move and and if you didn't hear the press conference basically what vic fangio and john elway agreed upon is that they're going to take some time off um before they get into their evaluations of of the 2019 team and and kind of what happened over the last year and and grayed out guys um and basically vic fangio explained it as to recency bias you know I mean if you go in right now and spend the next 10 days grading out guys and and figuring out how they played or trying to judge how they played over the last year you may be victim to recency bias and and maybe how a guy played over the last four games gets more weight than how he played really over the course of the whole year so what they're going to do is basically take a month off and then come back and and let the emotions subside and then hopefully get a better grade on these guys and I think the Broncos have had a tendency to overvalue their own guys Um, and and so I think that is, is a really good thing that they're doing. And I think you're right. And again, I don't think that's something that they maybe would have done two or three years ago Mm -hmm. when they were kind of in denial about the state of this franchise. Yep, absolutely. But they get a lot of tough decisions here. Yeah, for sure. Um, so as we, as we wrap up this podcast and and look ahead to the off season and, and don't worry, we're not leaving you entirely. We will be back with you, uh, throughout some points during the off season, probably more regularly than, uh, than you would like us to be, but we're going to, we're going to jam these podcasts down your throat, whether you like it or not. (laughs) Um, what is the, the biggest area of concern for you as the Broncos head into the off season and look ahead to 2020? Um, are we talking strictly football or big? Picture? Yeah, strictly strictly okay. football. We'll keep it to okay. on the field. The off the field concerns. We we do have yeah, a time limit yeah. on the podcast, yeah. I believe. Yeah, <laughs> minus you know not having an owner. Um, aside from not having an owner, I would say the secondary. Um, you know, I know the O line has had issues, which are like what seven years in the making. Um, and I feel like having Mike Munchak. You know, as a luxury, he can teach a lot of guys that, you know, maybe went unnoticed by other teams and make them into 
serviceable, if not, you know, good linemen. But the secondary, uh, I look at the group they could have, the cornerback room especially, um, the group they could have if they don't re-sign Chris Harris, and it's it's kind of scary, honestly. Yeah. Like, uh, you got, what, Duke Dawson, Devontae Harris, uh, Isaac Yedham, uh, who else? Trey Marshall, maybe? Trey Marshall, like, who's, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think they have, like, you know, it's not six good. starts between them. Yeah, so they and they don't need just one good cor- corner. They need like three. Mm-hmm. Um, and that secondary has has kind of been the staple of this team for really the past four years, um, and it's kind of helped them get by when their offense sucked. So you know they they might have a good offense next year. Hopefully a more productive one than the ones we've seen in the past. But if that secondary is a total sieve, uh, they're going to have problems and it's going to affect the pass rush. It's going to affect everything. Big time, big time. I mean, obviously you got Kareem Jackson coming back, but Mm -hmm. you know, if, if you, they, they, you're right. They got to do something there. I mean, Bryce Callahan's coming back too, but I don't know how much you can rely on him. Given the fact that he missed all season. He hasn't played a game since December, 2018. Right. So, Yeah, so that's a, that's a concern yeah. um, for I sure. Think- and, and for me, it's it's the offensive line. And, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you're right on in the secondary, and I think the O-line is is just as important because you've got this this kid at quarterback now and you think he's the future and you got to protect him. And, yeah. and they have ruined quarterbacks. And I know we were concerned about them ruining Drew Locke earlier in the year um, because of that offensive line. And, and so you feel like – they're solid with Dalton Reisner, but you were you wonder what they're going to do with Connor McGovern being a free agent. Um, you know, is is Jawan James going to be able to play ten games next mm-hmm. year? Five? You know, I mean, right. maybe a hundred snaps for the season. I don't know. Um, and so, so obviously that's an issue. And then you you worry about what they're going to do with with seventy two over there on the left side. And obviously he made improvement. There's no doubt about that. But he's still got a really long way to go. Um, and and I think a lot of that is is from a mental point, uh, mental standpoint as well. Um, you know, picked up a stupid penalty at the end of the game that almost cost him uh, in that game against the Raiders. So the mm-hmm. offensive line for me is is the the other big area of concern yep. um, when you look at this football team moving forward. Yeah, can't dispute that at all. They could have a number of holes on the starting five, even with Connor McGovern. I'd be shocked if they picked up Ron Leary's option, given his injury history. I think they'd be foolish to pick up Ron Leary's option. Yeah, I do too. So, yeah. Should be an interesting offseason. Well, and and here's the thing. Like, this team is definitely trending in the right direction. There's no doubt about that. But they have a long way to go still. And I think that's that's fair. You know, I mean, yeah, they – they won four of their last five games, and that's great. But you can't tell me that this team is poised to compete with the Chiefs and the Ravens or the Patriots no. next year. You, you just know? hope they've found that biggest piece, which is quarterback. They're not going to go anywhere until they have a quarterback. Yeah. Now maybe yeah. they can start to build around them. 
So still plenty uh, to look forward to. And as I mentioned, we'll be back with you uh, throughout the, the off season. And so make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter. She is at Nikki Javala. I am at Michael CBS four. Um, and then uh, we will continue to bring you the latest and greatest as it comes to the Denver Broncos uh, in the off season of, of 2020. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot to talk about and uh, we'll be here with you breaking it down as always. All right, that's going to do it for our season wrap up for 2019. Uh, thanks so much for hanging out with us uh, throughout all these podcasts. It's been a lot of fun. Really enjoy your feedback. Uh, make sure you continue to, to interact with us, and we'll continue to interact with you guys. And uh, we will talk to you in 2020.